Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. Welcome to the show. Thanks for being here. We appreciate you. And wow, what a crazy 24 hours it has been. But we made it through. Yeah, it's Somehow. one of those moments where you're like, pinch me if it was real. Yes, it was. And honestly, the it's still going to continue. I mean, where do we go from here? That's what this show's about today, I guess. Uh, yeah, because a lot of questions still. There's a lot of theories uh, being shared right now. We're going to try to break everything down, debunk everything. And I'm very excited because we have Ken Charles, the program director at KNX News, joining us for that as we navigate the next steps for uh, Donald Trump and the administration. Are they going to be pulling out the 25th Amendment in this case? Will Pence take over? Well, we've got the answers for you in just a bit. Plus, a fun story about uh, Clubhouse. We're going to tell you more about the invite-only Clubhouse app that a lot of people are talking about. Could this be the next big story? social media network. Well, we're going to be getting into that also later in the show. Uh, But first, right now, let's get into some what's trending this hour. Press Secretary Kelly McEnany did speak to the press earlier today, very quickly, to say the least. Those who are working in this building are working to ensure an orderly transition of power. Now it is time for America to unite, to come together, to reject the violence that we have seen, we are one American people under God. Thank you very much. Yep, she just left there. No questions from the press. It looked pretty uh, shaken up more than usual. I mean, I don't feel bad for none of them, to be quite honest. And the fact that she didn't give let anyone ask any questions, the fact that the president didn't even show his face is very telling. So, yeah, I don't care if she's shaken yeah. up because she's also someone who has encouraged this as well. Mm-hmm. Well, Republican candidate Kelly Leffler definitely uh, was encouraging of this until last night when she said that she was not going to object to the electoral votes uh, to uh, vote in President-elect Joe Biden. Uh, she has officially conceded defeat to Raphael Warnock in the Georgia Senate race. I want to thank every Georgian and every single American who believed in me in our campaign. We accomplished so much in a short time, from delivering relief to hardworking Georgians during this pandemic, to funding our rural hospitals and healthcare, advocating for our farmers, our veterans, for school choice and families, for standing up for conservative American values. Unfortunately, we came up slightly short in the runoff election, 
And earlier today, I called Reverend Warnock to congratulate him and to wish him well in serving this great state. Uh, Warnock will become the first black senator in Georgia history when he takes office this month. Such huge news. Uh, and she conceded, and we're still waiting on President Trump to concede, but it seems like she's deciding to shift gears suddenly here and not follow well, you know, Trump. his social media manager, uh, his social media director, actually, yeah, he released, a, um, it was a statement uh, last night, well, about 14 hours ago from the president saying, even though I totally d disagree with the outcome of the election and the facts bear me out, nevertheless, there will be an orderly transition on January 20th. I have always said we would continue our fight to ensure that only legal votes were counted while this represents the end of the greatest first term in presidential history. It's only the beginning of our fight to make America great again. So that's his conceding. His yeah, concession. I guess. I mean, that seems like the closest we're going to get to it. Yep, it seems that way. Well, National Guards uh, are in D.C. still, and several U.S. states will remain activated throughout President-elect Joe Biden's January 20th inauguration. That's according to NBC News and CBS News. Local authorities announced that four people died after a mob of Trump supporters entered the Capitol building, as we know, and, and engaged with riot police yesterday afternoon as Congress held that joint set to count the 2020 Electoral College votes. Uh, and of course, they reconvened until like 5 a.m. or so, and it was done with, and then they got a break. I don't even know how they do this. Do they say that you, they can take a day off after something like that? Like, you deserve a day off. I don't think it happens, but they deserve a vacation. Now, the FDA, and this is actually really scary and worrisome, they are warning that the COVID tests used at LA testing sites have a high false negative rate. In other words, they often say you don't have COVID when you do. Perhaps that's why LA has so many cases and has become a hot spot because a lot of people got negative tests when they were actually positive. Could that be the case? We will see. And uh, that was what's trending this hour. What's happening in entertainment news, Ryan? Okay, so Demi Lovato was among several celebrities who condemned the president for inciting a riot over the certification of President-elect Joe Biden's victory in the 2020 election. But fans think that she may have went just a step too far. This is your T-Report, those pop culture stories trending right now. So, of course, she went on to talk about this online. She says, my heart is broken. It makes me too sad to believe how naive I was to think this couldn't, couldn't possibly happen. And yet it did. Here we are. Then she suggested that she plans to re release music that speaks to the deadly insurrection on Capitol Hill. She said, I'm in the studio working on something special after today's assault on democracy, adding the hashtag impeach Trump tonight. Mm. While some commended Lovato for leveraging, you know, her huge social media platform and fans following you know for political activism one person actually said and then obviously a lot of people agreed said who watched what happened today at capitol hill and went you know what would help a new demi lovato song oh which funny. honestly very true because it feels like why who asked you for a song i mean we appreciate your thoughts on this but like is who cares? is this the new thing like instead of breakups leading towards songs it's just like utter chaos leading towards the song yeah it's wild but that's your tea report for now i got more coming up next hour because we have to talk about 
the one drag race guest judge, celebrity guest judge that has been refusing to say yes to come on the show. That oh. is more. Don't go anywhere. All right. Well, coming up next on the show, the 25th Amendment is the quickest way Trump could be stripped of power, but will it actually happen? Ken Charles, program director at KNX News, joins us to dive into that next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. After a mob of Trump supporters stormed the U.S. Capitol, lawmakers, political commentators, and the National Association of Manufacturers are now calling for the removal of President Trump from office, citing the 25th Amendment, which would basically mean that Trump is out and Pence takes over until Biden comes into office officially. And joining us for the first time in 2021, we've got the program director of KNX News, KNX 1070, Ken Charles. Welcome back. Just thank you. Happy New Year to both of you. Happy New Year to your audience. And actually what you said is not 100% true. All right. So let's get into it. What's right, going so, on? First, like, so, where do you want to start? What's the 25th Amendment? All right. Or? So let's do, let's do the 25th. Yeah. So basically, if they can get enough members of Trump's cabinet to sign it and Pence to sign off, then they go to the president and say, you're not stable. You can't be president. The president has the ability to say, no, no. I'm stable. I can still be president, which starts a four day clock. Then they have to go back and do it all over again. Then they have to go back to Trump. Trump can say, no, no, I'm stable. Pence is kind of acting vice or acting president, but then it has to go to Congress and two thirds of Congress has to approve it for them to actually be able to kick him out. So the so, timing of that just seems like it'll take too long because the back and forth, at that, at that point, it'll be time for the inauguration. So I guess, is it really even, you know, I, I, I feel like the Democrats immediately last night were, you know, drawing up articles of impeachment, but is that really something that we should be focused on? Uh, should I think we should be removing him immediately, but how can you do that? that and that's the problem with the 25th when the president isn't, medically incapacitated, which is really what it was drawn up for. And so impeachment's actually a really interesting thing. So correct, he's only got 13 days left in office. And by the time they could drop all the articles of impeachment and go through the House and go through the trial in the Senate, it probably wouldn't happen. However, Congressman Brad Sherman brought something up really, really interesting just moments ago on KNX's In-Depth, which is... If they were to get through and impeach him, it's not just impeaching him from office now. They could prevent him if they impeached him and got it through from ever running for federal office again, hmm. which means this whole debate on could Trump run again in 2024 would be over. So impeachment yeah. is actually a much longer term thing. And while, yes, it might not get him out of office in the next 13 days, but it would prevent him from ever holding federal office again. And at this point, it seems like Republicans and Democrats might be able to finally get on the same page. No, it doesn't. No, I can't really figure out watching, you know, everything that went on last night. Like, which Lindsey Graham is it? That's what I'm saying. Nobody's on the same page. My thing is, when you're thinking about bipartisanship and if Democrats and Republicans can't even agree on this one moment, what we all witness, how are they supposed to agree when Joe Biden gets into the office? That whole walk, you know, working across the aisle thing seems like out of the window at this point. Well, listen, it, it, it's easy to get a really big dose of, of, of religion when you're watching people storm the Capitol 
and you're afraid for your life because they're actually roaming the halls. The question is a month from now, two months from now, will that memory of that event still be quite as fresh? And will the fear that they were, I mean, look, when you have to be ushered out of your cocoon, I mean, being on the floor of the House or the Senate, you think you are the safest you will ever be in your life. And seeing those protesters sitting behind Nancy Pelosi's desk, watching them walk out with things from the House and Senate floor, that's a different deal. A month from now, two months from now, let's see. But I do think the fact that it's 50-50 and the tiebreaker is Kamala Harris, that may just make the Republicans that much more willing to, you know, enter into some kind of discussions and some kind of compromises and try to work together because they can be overruled by one vote versus the three or four votes that they were living under when they were in charge. One vote, you know, look, one Republican shifts, it's over. And you've got Collins, you've got, you know, Romney and others who are easy shifts. So this might actually make them more willing to debate, more willing to compromise. But your question, Ryan, is, is the Lindsey Graham that we saw last night on the floor of the joint committee, you know, one person can't usurp the votes of 155 million when two weeks ago he was yelling and screaming on Fox News about Stop the Steal. Yeah, we're seeing a lot of changes happen right now, but will it make a difference? I want to get into right after this how insiders are saying that the military knew about this happening. Uh, They were part of this. We're going to talk more about that next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. We are back with Ken Charles, program director at KNX News, KNX 1070, uh, as we talk about the 25th Amendment impeachment. And now uh, there are people saying U.S. allies say Trump attempted the coup with help from federal law enforcement. What are you hearing around that? Could that be true? I've heard some things. I'm not 100 percent sure that he could do that. I mean, I have heard from very reliable sources that he was reticent to send the National Guard in, which is what took them so long to get there yesterday. I definitely heard, look, you probably saw on social media pictures of selfies being taken by the Capitol Police with some of the protesters. So is there some complicity? Absolutely. But the other thing is, you know, and LeBron James and other NBA players said it, if that was a Black Lives Matter protest, the minute they hit the stairs, there would be gunshots fired. They would never got, have gotten as far. If that was a protest of Muslims or Muslim Americans, they would never have gotten far, that far. How is it that a bunch of, you know, red hat wearing, you know, militant types that we all knew were going to the Capitol? I mean, they were coming to Washington. We've known for weeks this was on. We've seen the social media post. We've heard it said by the president. And then it, how do we not have the proper security? And then when Trump said, let's go march down Pennsylvania Avenue to the Capitol, how did they not start beefing up then? This, this, is, this is the real problem. And to me, this is the biggest scandal of all, 
because it never should have gotten as far as it got. Yeah, and I, I think I, I, my big question is, you know, are we kind of entering in a new era of political violence? Is this turning out to be the new norm, if, especially if we see Republicans trying to overturn every election if they don't win? Is that something that their their supporter base is going to continue? Well, you know, and it's a good question, right? The question is, you know, Trump is the fuel that's been throwing gas on this for really years, going back to Charlottesville, you know, back in what, 2017, 2018, he's been throwing gas on this. Since November 3rd, he's been throwing gas on this. So, you know, is this a surprise that it got out of hand? Probably not. Now, I heard Laura Ingram, of all people, last night going, oh, well, I was in Duluth and I was here and there with all of these Trump supporters and it never got violent. Well, it never got violent because Trump at all of those rallies didn't have the they're stealing the election from me monologue that he's had since November 3rd. Since November 3rd, he's been saying the election is a fraud, that it's been stolen from me. He's been throwing gas on that. So to compare the Trump rallies of campaign Trump and 2015 and 16 Trump to the Trump after November 3rd is not a fair comparison because of the gas he's thrown on this fire. Will the Republicans continue that once Trump is out of office, especially if Twitter and Facebook neuter him? That's the million dollar question. And then we'll know if we're really entering in a you know era of political violence by the hard, hard right. Because look, at the end of the day, take Trump out of it. 74 million Americans voted for that man. Yeah, they're yeah. not going anywhere. I mean, so uh, Ken Charles, again, program director from KNX News, joins us right now. Well, there's two new things that kind of happened today and popped up out of this. One, Facebook taking him off completely, which was a big move from Mark Zuckerberg, considering the past uh, relationship and uh what they felt around the things that he shared or, or the actions they've taken. Um, do you think that this, yeah, this is now a, a, a new phase that we're in, in terms of how social media treats him and his supporters? Well, I mean, as far as Facebook is concerned, Facebook really wasn't his medium. It was Twitter. So Facebook banning him. And by the way, they're only banning him for the next 13 days while he's in office. They haven't said what they're going to do once he's, regular citizen Donald Trump at 1201 on January 20th, they could put him back. But really, it's Twitter. And, you know, a lot of people have said they're disappointed that they allowed him back on Twitter after the 12 hour ban. And you know what, even if Twitter were to ban him, I guess he'll just move over to parlor and take his people with him. So they're going to be with him. The question is, of the 74 million people who voted for him, how many really support or at least are not willing to turn their back on him after the events at the Capitol yesterday? And it's certainly not 40 million or 50 million, but even if it's 1 million, even if it's 500,000, that's a scary 500,000 people. That's a TV network. You know? Well, Ken, I wonder, because KNX is such a huge news source, and we get a lot of our news from you all as well. What goes into your decision-making when it comes into making sure you're reporting these things correctly? And then at this point, it feels like we're also in a new era of calling, you know, not calling these folks protesters. We're, you know, the language that we're using matters more than ever. So how do you go in, in making those calls and making sure you're telling the truth at this point, right? I, 
I, I mean, look, I, I have a group of, of really skilled, really experienced journalists at every level, both our reporters in the field and our inside staff, our editors and our writers who do a great job. Then it comes down to management, myself, my news director and others, literally making sure our eyes and ears are on everything to make sure that we're doing it properly because words matter and words are important. Uh, that was KNX News Director, Program Director, Ken Charles joining us. And of course, uh, for News 24-7, go to KNX News or KNX1070.com. KNX1070.com. So Perfect. We're out of time. We can't talk about Kanye and Kim because I want to talk about those two. We'll have to do that right. offline. We don't have time right now. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. You're always great. Yeah, love you guys. Miss you guys. Miss you too. Now coming up on the show, Tulsi Gabbard put her foot in her mouth again when talking about gender neutral language, what she shared with Tucker Carlson. That's next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. Former Representative Tulsi Gabbard went on Tucker Carlson's Fox News show, which means something problematic is about to be discussed here on the show. Uh, She went on to complain about gender neutral language that the U.S. House will soon be using, like replacing chairman and chairwoman with chair. Here's what she has to say. So how does it empower women to ban the acknowledgement that women exist? It it absolutely does the very opposite of that. And it's the height of hypocrisy for people who claim to be the champions of rights for women to deny the very biological existence of women. I mean, how does it violate the biological existence of women or men for that matter? Like, I know what I have and who I am. I don't feel violated by helping more people feel included. I don't get it. Um, I mean, I just think back when it comes to Tulsi Gabbard and how she tried to derail our election by running for president. And the fact that she even still considers herself a Democrat is just hilarious. I think Kamala Harris has noted it. Every other candidate who was running at that time has noted that she loves going on Fox News. She loves going on Tucker Carlson, as we're seeing. And it's, you know, it seems like she just wants to create chaos instead of actually creating any valuable change. And so... I don't know. Tulsi is just someone, it seems like at this point, is just going to continue to do what she's doing under the guise of being a Democrat. And that is just further from the truth. Yeah. And then get Republicans like Tucker to like her because she's saying things that resonate with him. Right. Including speaking about communities that she knows nothing about, obviously. And she's not trying to help to protect, uh, including this whole Protect Women Sports Act, which uh, I can't believe is still being talked about and 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 being circulated. Is, is this something that's actually going to get signed in that she's continuing to fight for? Um, well, I don't have the answer to that, but I can believe that she's having these conversations. I mean, TERFs exist and she is one of them, to be quite honest. Um, you know, she feels like allowing people to just enjoy their lives and and be who they are is a a, a actual act of violence on her and in her existence and it makes no uh sense and it just feels so harmful that she continues to do this and continues to put out this narrative when it's been proven that that is just not the case, but people are fighting. We've had folks on like from the ACLU or from Land Illegal who are daily fighting um, these acts of violence from Tulsi Gabbard. And I think that's what's important. Yeah. And of course, a lot of people had a lot to say on social media. Unfortunately, she's back 
uh, you know, Tulsi, you only get elected if you switch parties to the Patriot Party or you could say to the Republicans. Right. Uh, and just like, yeah, a lot of people just can't believe she's continuing to spew this just horrible language and just not getting it at all. Well, I, I, that's what I'm saying. It's it's not this is not a shocking thing from her, because if you don't remember during her presidential campaign, she actually refused to respond to an HRC questionnaire on LGBTQ plus issues that all 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 the other major Democratic candidates responded to. And of course, you know, she's introducing this anti-trans bill. And so. Yeah, there's there's no way that she's actually going to do anything. Um, I don't think this is going to stick, especially with the Biden administration coming in. And it seems like the Democrats are heavy, strong in this situation. And so, who I, you know, at this point, I'm just going to kindly just ignore her. I think we all should. Yes, it's just noise. Just let's walk away and put that aside. Okay, now coming up on the show, Palm Springs, a resort and staple for the gay community, is up for sale. Could you be buying it? Possibly. Just saying. More details next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. Coming up on the show, the long-term effects of COVID-19, and we've got Dr. Michael Sag, our infectious diseases expert, joining us for that. And how do we talk to our kids about what is currently going on and have informed conversations? Uh, We have a professor and a researcher joining us for that who's done a lot of work in this field, so stay tuned for that conversation. She is awesome. Uh, But first, let's get into some what's trending this hour. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi called for the 25th Amendment to be invoked against President Donald Trump. I joined the Senate Democratic leader in calling on the vice president to remove this president by immediately invoking the 25th Amendment. If the vice president and cabinet do not act, the Congress may be prepared to move forward with impeachment. And uh, meanwhile, VP-elect Kamala Harris has spoken out today condemning the act of violence that happened yesterday. What we saw yesterday in our nation's capital was as the president-elect has called it, an assault on the rule of law. And it has no place in our democracy. So I believe we must ask ourselves two questions about what happened yesterday. What went wrong and how do we make it right? So yeah, we are seeing everyone pretty much speak out at this point. Again, as you look back at our interview with Ken Charles, it's uncertain if that will even matter or work the 25th Amendment at this point, considering uh, we've got what, two weeks or so? So, uh, but impeachment, how would that work for the long term? I think that's a good solution. And if you missed that interview, you can go back to it on our podcast on the radio.com app. Just search Let's Go There. Uh, Now let's move on to what's happening in California. Governor Gavin Newsom is calling for the state to send new $600 stimulus payments to low-income residents. The cash would add to the $600 in federal stimulus payments that Congress approved last month. That will actually go to roughly 4 million Californians, according to the governor's office. And unlike the federal money, undocumented immigrants would be eligible for the California payments. This is uh, a big deal and really great of Gavin Newsom. Newsom's proposal is part of a broader economic relief plan that includes an extension of the state's eviction moratorium, which is going to expire on January 31st. And if it's extended, renters facing financial hardship due to the pandemic would be protected from eviction as long as they have paid at least 25% of their unpaid rent. 
So at least this provides some sort of solution as we're in this gray area right now until Biden is in office officially. Yeah, and hopefully, I mean, Biden said if we elected Warnock and Ossoff, then people could expect an extra $2,000. So I know folks are like, where is their check? Well, when uh, they officially make that transition in the Senate, those uh, steps will start to be taken. Now, Palm Springs, all our listeners at 103.1 FM. Okay, a uh, long-running queer resort in Palm Springs is up for sale. Maybe you want to be the buyer. We're going to be giving you details. Or perhaps you're not even in Palm Springs, but you're like, hey, I'm kind of getting the Palm Springs vibes because, you know, it sucks wherever you live because Palm Springs is pretty awesome. Well, you could buy this spot, uh, Warm Sands Neighborhood Hotel, for $10.8 million. That's a lot yeah. of money. <laughs> yeah, just, you know, throw out a $10.8 million. That's uh, that easy. John Jackson and his partner, Sandy Miller, they've owned the property for 10 years. They're asking for that amount. They've stipulated that the property must remain, though, a gay resort. They said, we've spent the last 10 years improving the property into a luxury gay resort. We wouldn't want someone coming in and destroying the concept. We've built a strong clientele who have come to rely on Palm Springs and indulge. Mm-hmm. Oh, get it? In it's like, yeah. As their yearly vacation destination, we care too much for them to let a new buyer take away the magical place they all know and love. Indulge, if you're wondering, is currently closed, but the property plans to reopen in uh Uh, January 21st, actually, or when Southern California lifts its leisure travel ban, and it is clothing optional. So there you have it. I will have to visit the uh, Indulge Resorts, Ryan, uh, when things get lifted and we could go. No lockdown. And that was what's trending this hour. (laughs) What's happening in entertainment news, Ryan? Okay, so did Hillary Duff just blame Pink Eye on COVID-19 testing? Well, this is your tea report. Those pop culture moments that are trending right now. So actress and singer Hillary Duff sparked some confusion on social media Tuesday when she suggested that a recent eye infection she suffered was caused by all the COVID testing at work. Um, experts say, of course, that COVID-19 um, testing is an implausible explanation and the general public should not be concerned about such a side effect. Um, of course, uh-huh. Hillary... If you don't remember, she had to quarantine back in November after exposure to COVID-19. Uh, she shared the details about her eye infection on Instagram and saying that she took a little trip to the emergency room and needed antibiotics to treat it. Now, experts say that antibiotics are often given in the event of conjunctivitis or pink eye, which, of course, we all know what that is. So, honestly, it just sounds like she was blaming COVID for... <laughs> For pink eye that she got because the testing she was doing was like the nasal treatment. So how would it even get up there? When it went so deep that it hit her eye, I have no idea. I mean, if they if it hits your eye, they're doing it wrong. <laughs> I would be concerned. Right. Um, so yeah, try again, Hillary. Uh, just wash your hands, maybe. It's I don't okay. Know. Pink eye is normal. We all get it. It's I mean, all good. it's a little dirty. Okay, so now moving on. Will Dolly Parton, I teased this last hour, will Dolly Parton ever be on Drag Race? In a new interview, uh, Michelle Visage, of course, she's been a longtime judge, said that Dolly Parton, someone of whom Rue is a huge fan of, has said no for over a decade. And I quote, just to let everybody know, we have asked Dolly Parton for 11, 12, 13 years, um, which is shocking that she still has said no. <laughs> 
And um, of course, uh, Michelle was like, to calm everyone down, we do ask Cher, we do ask Madonna, we ask Liza, uh, we also ask Dolly, we ask everybody, and scheduling is always the conflict. And Rue actually recently named Cher as being uh, at the top of his wish list, um, saying it took years to get Gaga, but we got her. So maybe there's a possibility. It seems like scheduling is the big deal, but... Girl, Dolly Parton got to do something. She basically is a drag queen. And that is your T-Report. And if you want to know more about this story and others, head over to WeirdChannelQ.com. I got more coming up next hour because, girl, Kylie Jenner's in trouble. Did she take branding too far? We're talking about it. Okay, well, next on the show, the largest global study of long COVID is finding that many patients are unable to return to work six months later. More on that next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. The largest global study of long COVID has come out revealing what patients are dealing with six months after getting the virus. And back with us is Dr. Michael Sag, who's a professor of medicine and uh, the director at the UAB Center for AIDS Research. He's also an infectious diseases expert. And you're actually in the hospital right now dealing with COVID patients. Yeah, it's been a busy couple of weeks. And unfortunately, everything that we feared and kind of predicted is coming true. Uh, there's a surge of cases that's stressing our emergency department, our hospital, and we're trying to do as much outpatient as we can. And that's what I'm involved in right now is this outpatient approach to keep people out of the hospital after they've been diagnosed. Yeah, I, I, I guess it's just crazy with everything that went on yesterday and what we saw at the Capitol. We know you love to stay out of politics, but I think what the biggest concern for me was seeing all of those people without masks at the height of what we're going through with this, you know, um, virus. Can you talk a little bit about that? Are we going to see even more consequences when it comes to COVID-19? Well, you know, there's, there's no question there's resistance to messaging. And I think some of that may be driven politically. You saw a lot of anger on the part of the protesters. They don't want to be told what to do. They don't trust any kind of standard authorities or uh, voices that we normally trust uh, from coming from experts on the topic. And so they think it's um, a sign of weakness to wear a mask. They're in denial about this uh, pandemic. And unfortunately, disproportionately, they're coming in to see us with COVID after they pick it up. And believe it or not, even then, some of them say, you're, you know, you're lying. I don't have COVID. And it's, it's, it's craziness from my perspective, but it's real. Yeah, definitely. Again, we're talking to infectious diseases expert, Dr. Michael Sag, uh, right now. So what about this mutant COVID we're hearing about? How will this impact how we approach this right now? Well, so the, the mutation happens. So here's the thing about all viruses, but especially RNA viruses like the coronavirus. They, mute, they, they turn over very quickly. They produce a lot. And every time they, they reproduce, there's a potential for a mistake mm -hmm. in their reproduction. So they like a transcription error. It just by chance, sometimes those errors give the virus a selective growth advantage. And when that happens, it's just like basically Charles Darwin, survival of the fittest. And that one grows out to be the more predominant species. That's what we witnessed. In this particular case, the new variant is much more infectious than the other ones, which means that the normal precautions that we use will work if we do them. But what it means is there's a little bit less forgiveness if we 
let our guard down, we get into a larger crowd, we take our mask off, it's more likely that if we are exposed, we'll pick it up. So the vaccines seem to be effective against this variant. That's great news, but the, it does mean we're going to see more cases because of the increase of infectivity of this new variant. So now let's get into this uh, study. This was the largest global study of long COVID. Uh, what does this mean? Why should we be paying attention to this? Well, that we've known for a while now that there is a certain subset of patients who have had COVID. They get through their acute illness. The majority of people go on and they recover. But there's about 5 maybe 10% of people who just can't shake it. And they end up with persistent fatigue, headache, uh, lung trouble, heart trouble, sometimes fuzzy thinking. And they just can't get over that. We've seen this with other infections Historically, uh, Lyme disease may be the most uh, popular one that we know about. It doesn't happen all that often with Lyme disease, but when it does, it's very debilitating for people. It's not due to the organism persisting. What it's due to is an immune system reaction that just hasn't cooled off or shut down. I think the same thing's happening here. The immune system gets jazzed up when it gets infected with COVID. It then keeps active even when the virus is long gone and it just keeps um, attacking tissue, be it brain, heart, lung, et cetera, yeah. and it causes these prolonged symptoms. Well, Dr. Sag, at this point, would a, 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 a national lockdown even stop or slow down the spread at this point? I think it would definitely slow, slow down the spread. It may just be too late. I mean, look at how quick Great Britain was to react to this. I mean, tip of the hat, to Boris Johnson. I mean, he did the right thing by reacting to it. But what it takes to make a lockdown successful is it's not just issuing a public health decree. It's having the public health officials working in our case with Congress to make sure that the businesses that are hampered by this lockdown are made whole, at least to some degree. We can't just tell people to shut their doors and give up their livelihood and not have any relief for them. And that's, yeah. where, that's where we've missed out on a coordinated response. That's what's needed in our country. I wish we had done that eight or nine months ago. All right. Well, uh, that was Dr. Michael Sagan, infectious diseases expert out of Alabama. Thank you so much for everything you're doing. Thanks for having me back. Now coming up on the show, how can we root out racism in children's books? Well, our next guest has studied this for years and is sharing a possible solution. That's next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. As we rethink education and teaching kids about inclusion and diversity from an early age, how do we make sure children's books aren't rooted in racism and have representation? Well, joining us right now is Lindsay Perez-Huber, who's an associate professor of social and cultural analysis of education at California State University, Long Beach. She also has a book uh, called Racial Microaggressions Using Critical Race Theory to Respond to Everyday Racism. She joins us now. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you. Thank you both for having me. Uh, now, you analyze racial inequalities in education and beyond, of course. Uh, just before we get into this, I just think uh, looking back at what happened the past 24 hours, how can parents and teachers reflect and talk about yesterday's events with children? Yeah, you know, um, this is such a horrific right, event that's happened in the past 24 hours that's definitely on the minds of um, most adults, but certainly our children who are also seeing these images that um, happened over the, over the past day or so. Yeah. Um, it's, so it's interesting that, you know, yesterday my, uh, my new book came out, which is, uh, about how 
the racist rhetoric that we've seen over the past four years impacts children in K-12 schools and students in higher ed. And so, um, you know, I think in the past four years, we've seen that students have been experiencing the consequences of this racist rhetoric for some time, right? So the, the events that happened over the past 24 hours are, are really kind of a, a, a visual culmination, right, that shows how dangerous words are. Um, and so I think that for our children to have these discussions, um, I've been listening to uh, my, my, my two daughters' teachers who in their online schooling today um, have been, whose teachers have been trying to talk to them about this. I think um, what's happening is that, you know, what, what's, what's totally appropriate is that they're kind of processing. And so I think children need time to process what they've seen over the past day or so to have discussions with family members about what they see happening to kind of help them make sense of it. Um, and then maybe in a day or two, you know, um, I think what's really useful is rather than just kind of providing this open space for children is to ask them questions about how this is make, making them feel, how they're making sense of what they're seeing um, and have these conversations that are really rooted in their own questions that they have about what's happened rather than teachers kind of giving them history lessons, <laughs> right, about the last time this happened in the 1800s. I don't think that that's useful. I think we really need to start with their concerns and their thoughts and their questions first, and then have these conversations that kind of develop and evolve from that. Yeah, I think what's interesting about the root of this story that you wrote was obviously your own experience with a children's book that just was like completely all about the stereotypes, right? And I think when you think about representation, there's a double-edged sword because um, not all communities are a monolith. And of course, people are wanting things to match exactly how they should be. And I wanted to know kind of your own personal encounters when you were investigating the portrayals of people of color in children's books. What did you learn? What did you see that made you feel like this is something that we have to change immediately? Yeah, I think, you know, uh, uh, like, like I, I wrote in this article is this is really rooted in kind of my what I want for my own children, right? Um, and so I think when when we talk about how to kind of decode race in children's books um, and thinking about how we talk to our kids about this is that, um, you know, it doesn't really look that different than how we have these conversations as adults in terms of the things that we need to do. Right. So we know that research has shown that children notice physical characteristics like race very early on around like age three and four. And then when they're just a little bit older in later elementary school, they begin to understand the social statuses that are attached to race, right? The, mm -hmm. the differential and equitable social statuses that are attached to those. So what many folks I think say, whether it's parents or educators, is that children you know, are too young for these conversations. But developmentally, that's actually inaccurate because they're already reading, right? Some of the, the, the stigmas and some of the inequitable statuses attached to race. So I think one of the most important things that we can do is quite simple, is to have conversations about race early so that kids don't have to feel uncomfortable talking about it, right? And so one kind of example that I'll give uh, um, from uh, an anecdote with my oldest daughter, is she, uh, it, she's in high school, last year she was reading the book Things Fall Apart by Chinawe Achiebe um, in her English class. This is, of course, an acclaimed novel about a Nigerian tribe before and after British colonialism. It centers a male character. And so her teacher, her English teacher, who was a white woman, always brought the discussions about gender and patriarchy, right? And never really touching upon race. And so my mm -hmm. daughter would come home really frustrated, like, why aren't we talking about race in this book? 
And so I told her, well, why don't, why don't you and, you know, your peers bring it up? So they did. And um, it became very clear very quickly that the, te- the teacher got really, really uncomfortable. Right. Oh, yeah. And so, um, so it wasn't necessarily a, a negative conversation. I think the teacher tried her best, but she just didn't have the toolkit, right, to have this discussion. And, and also, right, I think, um, explains why she didn't really bring it up before. And so um, I think about all of these missed opportunities that kids have in schools and how many missed opportunities happen in schools and universities every day to have discussions about race. I think just in the past six months, the things that we've seen around the Black Lives Matter protests, the suffering the pandemic has disproportionately caused Black and brown communities that we're seeing on the news, all of these opportunities we were given in our current state of the nation and the world to discuss racial inequities, um, we're getting them every day, right? And so I think it, it, it's, it's so important to take advantage of what we see happening, the issues we see happening around us. Um, and to use those as, as learning moments in our classrooms. Well, there's so much we can talk about here. We need to have you back on. Thank you so much for being here and for the work you're doing because it's it's so needed. That was Lindsay Perez-Huber, who's an associate professor of social and cultural analysis of education at the California State University, Long Beach. Please check out her book, Racial Microaggressions Using Critical Race Theory to Respond to Everyday Racism. Thanks so much. Now coming up on the show, have you heard about the app Clubhouse, what you need to know about it. And it's invite only, by the way. So stay tuned for that. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. Let's talk about this app Clubhouse. It is pretty much blowing up. I mean, I was on it in, uh, I'm losing track of time, but I think like April or something. It launched last year. And by the time I was on, maybe there was a few thousand users. Now there's like over a million and it's already worth that. Even then, when I was on it, we have 1,500 users, by the way. It was 100 million in value. But this is uh, the app that everyone is talking about. Um, and uh, it's an audio app that's still in beta, so it's private. Uh, and Ryan, I mean, you've been on it. What are your thoughts? Why do you think it's so popular right now? Um, I've been on it since October. Um, you've been on it way longer, like you just mentioned, but you never invited me, which is kind of shady because now that I, I know actually how it works, did wait, I actually did invite you. I said I'm on it and I did invite you. didn't I invite did. me because you didn't send me an invite. And so I don't think I've invited anyone. I didn't even how know how goes. to do it at the time. Um, but now that I know how the system works, Shira can't, you know, lie to me. But <laughs> I think, um, yeah, it's an interesting app. I think it's becoming an echo chamber for folks to have violent conversations. And I also think it can be a place for community. But to be quite honest, from what is happening, it, it can be very dangerous. And Clubhouse has already been called out for not um, taking the proper protocol to handle these situations. And so as it gets bigger, it's only going to become more problematic. And that's just my take. Well, yeah, let's let's talk about how that works, though, because people are going to be like, well, how is it problematic? So when I say it's an audio app, like imagine different virtual rooms that you could go into and everyone has their own profile and, uh, you know, you're brought onto a quote unquote stage to speak. And that is um, that is allowed by the moderators. There's always like a moderator of the conversation. Right. Uh, And anyone who the moderator, whoever starts the conversation can invite other moderators, too. So you get to bring people up on stage. Uh, and it becomes like a very, um, it was a, at the time, a safe space for uh, a raw conversation because everything feels 
very edited on social media now. And like it also depends on what your definition of a safe space is, because that's coming, that's becoming played out and just a buzzword. But that's well, yeah. And then I said about. it was. You know? So like when I originally was on it, it was a few people from like back in the day of digital media, like, you know, uh, Scooter Braun, Justin Bieber's manager would be on it. Like people that you wouldn't necessarily have access to. Now, as more people are getting on it and like there is more thankfully, more diversity, um, I think that you're going to have a lot of different types of people, the good and the bad, joining and thinking it's like a space where anyone could say anything. But you're acting like that just because it was like the who's who was on there doesn't mean that it wasn't problematic. Though there was reports being played out that there was a lot of sexual harassment being like happening around the time that you were on. So there was still mess going on just because a Scooter Braun or a Gail King was on there. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I think that you could have a, even a, a 1500 users or even 10 people and things can happen, right? Including if you're talking about something private. I think that a lot of people thought, oh, because it's private, you can't really record it. It's not like you could download the audio after the fact. It's It lives in real time, although you know, anyone could leak anything, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so there was this feeling like we're having conversations that we can't typically have. We could ask questions, uh, but then, yeah, it, it enabled Trolls. It enabled people that um, are manipulative, that could be abusive, racist, sexist, you know, you name it, to try to take over conversations and steamroll people and gaslight people. So the question is, will an app like this grow and last, right? I mean, it's private right now. They say they're going public very soon. Do you think we'll be seeing Clubhouse even bigger in one year? Will they be around? Um, I do think it'll be around as long as the quarantine will be around because I think people are bored and it gives them an opportunity to connect with like-minded folks and those like-minded people could be problematic. But I, I enjoy it. I think I have... I've talked in spaces on Clubhouse where it was panel spaces where I was being asked about LGBTQ plus issues. And I've also just been there having game nights with friends who I haven't been able to connect with. So I think there's positives and there's most definitely cons, but you can't get on there unless you're invited. So try to get an invite or just go there and at least reserve your name and uh, get on the waiting list or go on social media and ask someone if they can invite you. Maybe you'll find out one of your friends on it. Um, Now coming up in the show, are you still waiting on your stimulus check? Well, you can use this tool to check your status. We'll be telling you what that is next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. Coming up on the show, how to deal with a parent who is constantly criticizing you and more on the 25th Amendment or if Congress could be moving towards impeachment uh, against President Trump and why that matters, the difference between the two. Uh, That is coming up on the show. But right now, let's get into some what's trending this hour. As many continue to wonder how these riders broke into Congress yesterday and why there was no security set up, really, uh, the D.C. Police Chief Robert Conti responded with this. Uh, There was no uh, intelligence that suggested there would be a breach of the U.S. Capitol. Uh, The intelligence leading up to that, uh, we won't talk specifically about the intelligence that we had, but we anticipated certainly that the that there would be an increased uh, number of people. Not quite the response we were looking for. Uh, police have officially arrested only 69 people connected to the Capitol building invasion so far. Uh, and many are noting that that is far fewer than those arrested during Black Lives Matter protests this summer. 194 arrested uh, were arrested in an anti-racism protest in DC after the killing of George Floyd. 
uh, which didn't involve a violent attack on the halls of the government. Okay, and before we get into all the resignations that are happening following yesterday's events, uh, speaking of uh, the security that happened at the U.S. Capitol, the police chief, uh, Sund, is resigning effective January 16th, and that's according to a spokesperson. And so he is one of many, um, and actually Speaker Pelosi had called for him to resign. Uh, several other White House officials have resigned following the violence at the U.S. Capitol. Uh, today, Transportation Secretary Ellen Cho announced her resignation, becoming the first to leave President Trump's cabinet since the attack. Trump's former chief of staff, Mick Mulvaney, and top European and Russian official on the National Security Council, Ryan Tully, were also among those who resigned today. Others, including First Lady Melania Trump's chief of staff, Stephanie Grisham, quit yesterday. So that uh, seems to be... <laughs> The, you know, there's a lot going on there. It's hard to keep up, to be honest. But uh, that's a sign of what is going on behind the scenes. Now, if you're still waiting on your stimulus check, you can use this tool to check your status. So you can check your eligibility and the status of both your first and second payment by using the Internal Revenue Services Get My Payment tool. And you need to enter your ad just exactly as it's listed on your tax return for it to work. You also need to enter the exact refund amount or taxes due from your most recent tax return, but it is super easy. So go check that out if you haven't gotten your stimulus check yet and to see the status of it. And finally, Elon Musk is now the richest person in the world. 4.8% uh, rally in Tesla's share price today boosted Musk past Amazon founder Jeff Bezos on the Bloomberg Billionaires Index, a ranking of the world's 500 wealthiest people. And uh, that was what's trending this hour. What's happening in entertainment news, Ryan? Okay, so is Kylie Jenner's branding getting out of hand? This is your tea report, those pop culture stories that are trending right now. And after releasing her new Kylie Skin hand sanitizer, which is $7, by the way, um, hmm. Kylie is now facing accusations of profiting off the pandemic. Um, following the product's launch, many took to Twitter to accuse Kylie Jenner of cashing in on the COVID-19 crisis. One wrote... Kylie really made Kylie skin hand sanitizer. Like, let's profit off of a pandemic. Wow, making a buck off of COVID? Low. Um, now, despite the backlash, plenty of fans, of course, jumped to Jenner's uh, defense, saying, hope you're having the same energy for all of those corporations who didn't make masks and hand, um, who didn't make masks and hand sanitizers that now are. So, I wonder... What do we think? Is she actually profiting off of this? Should she be all of a sudden doing hand sanitizers? Has she gone too far? Or is she just being a businesswoman? Yeah, I think she's uh, she's being a businesswoman. I mean, everyone has made hand sanitizer. Everyone and their mom. I think every company at this point. So, like, why are we going to drag her for doing it? If anything, I think she should maybe, like, donate some of that money. Like, you know, proceeds go to some sort of charity or those in need. I mean, she help. is... She is a, what, a billionaire, right? And so it does feel a little weird. Um, but I guess it is just added on to her branding of all together. I don't know. I just don't expect, I'm like, I'm not buying hand sanitizer from her. Like, that just feels like, weird. What's the difference? Does it have like diamonds in it or something? No, I think it's just regular hand sanitizer, to be quite honest. But if you want to know what the difference is, head over to weirdchannelq.com. Um, and of course, keep us followed at LGT Show Everywhere. Okay, coming up on the show, you might be living back home or dealing with parents that have more time on their hands. So uh, how do you deal with a parent who's constantly criticizing you? We'll help you with that next. 
Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. Establishing healthy boundaries with parents as you get older is one of the most important things you can do for your own mental health, including for those, okay, who live with their parents right now because a lot of people are stuck in that situation or just have parents who have a lot of time on their hands, you know, because we're all stuck inside. This is for you and it's hard to do. And joining us right now to help us navigate all of this is Dr. Sarah Park a psychologist based out of California. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Uh, So I think this is so relevant because I even go back and forth, I think, with myself uh, around this with with my family. I know my family loves me and they listen to the show. uh, But, you know, there, there are those moments where I'm just like, really, I feel like they could be really hard on me. Specifically, I would say my dad because my mom listens to this and she... Don't worry, it's not you, mom. <laughs> so how, how are people supposed to deal with a parent who um, is always on them for different things? Gosh, I mean, that is, that's the age-old question, right? I mean, this doesn't stop in your 20s or 30s or 40s. I, I just actually got off a session with a 90-year-old man and a 50-year-old man talking about they're, you know, father, son, and they're living together right now. And they're at odds. I mean, it is never ending. Um, Because it's a communication issue through and through. And and I think um, our parents and our families are the first places that we learn how to communicate. It's the first place we learn how to connect. And so nobody does it perfectly. And so if there's any dysfunction in communication, that's where it's going to show up in spades. Even if you've done a, you know, you moved out of the house, you did all that great therapy work, you have great functioning relationships in other arenas of your life, but that house and those people is where those original habits were built. And so it's really easy to get into those dysfunctional patterns in those context. Yeah, gaslighting is a term that comes to mind when thinking Mm. about this. Um, How do you handle a parent that gaslights you when trying to set boundaries? Oh, gosh, that is an important and huge question. I think one of the biggest things that I talk to myself and my clients about is first, you need your self grounding, you need your people to talk to because gaslighting, it only survives really well if it survives in the dark, so to speak. Like if it's just between me and this person who's gaslighting me and I'm not talking to anyone else, it's really easy to feel sucked in and like, oh, I was the one in this situation. But, you know, so relying on whatever supports you have outside of the family to be like, check out the situation can be one good step to help you feel grounded. Another is a person doesn't have to agree with you or your boundaries or your version of reality for them to respect your boundaries. Yeah. And again, we're talking to Dr. Sarah Park, who's a psychologist right now. So can you get into what you mean by that? Because that could be a bit confusing. Right. So let's say in gaslighting, like there's a version where I'm like, hey, mom, uh, when you talk about um, oh, your pants look pretty tight. Maybe you should have a salad for lunch. Um, that really hurts my feelings. And it makes me feel like you don't really just value me as a person. And she goes, no, no, no. I just care for you. I just, I just want you to be the best you. I don't know. That doesn't matter. Okay. So you two are having two very different experiences in the moment of this reality. Right. And she may never agree with the fact that she's saying something hurtful to you. Okay. That sucks. But you can still hold the boundary of, okay, mom, when you talk about my pants or my weight, this conversation's over. Or 
you know, if that ever comes up again, I'm not willing to hang out in this conversation, whatever that means. So it's not about fi- like fixing what they're saying, because you can't fix them, you can't control that. But you could say in the future, I'm just letting you know how I'm going to respond and behave. Exactly. And then you're setting your own. Okay, yeah, you're setting your own boundaries for yourself. That's interesting. I do think it's interesting when we're saying, obviously, mental health is a, a, a super important topic that we've seen millennials and Gen Zers accept into their daily lives. I mean, therapy, here we go. I love it. Um, but do you think as millennials and Gen Zers become parents, this generational trend will end up ta- kind of dying off because we'll understand what boundaries mean and accepting that for our own kids? The trend of uh, stepping on your kids' toes and trying to meddle in their lives? Yeah. <laughs> um, no. <laughs> <laughs> It is hard because you always think, I think there's something to be said about like you, you come in and you think you know better because you just have been through some, through it. Maybe you're more self-aware in terms of how you communicate it. That could be challenging. I would hope so. I hope that generationally, um, just within my family, you know, line and within our family lines, but also generationally in a larger sense that we get better and better at this whole feelings, things, boundaries, thing, communication thing. But I think we're also human and our feelings get hurt or we really get invested in something and someone else doesn't want. There's always going to be difference. Always. Setting boundaries is just a way to communicate about difference. I think maybe we'll have more practice and that we'll be more elegant at setting boundaries and accepting boundaries. Perhaps that's the way forward. But I, I think difference will always exist. I hope it always exists. Difference is amazing. Um, it's just when people ignore our difference or run over our difference or you know, different things like that, that it can get really complicated and messy and hurtful. Uh, Such an interesting way of looking at it. So thank you so much, because I'm sure that will help people have a different perspective as we move into this new year and rebuild our relationships, including with our family. Uh, Dr. Sarah Park, thank you so much for being here. Sure. Thank you. Now coming up on the show, could Trump be kicked out and Pence take over because of the 25th Amendment? Our own Ken Charles from KNX News joins us to break that down next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. We're wrapping up the show as we always do with our guest queen of the day. Yes, queen. Uh, Now, this commercial is making the rounds here. It's actually from Doritos in Mexico. They just released this ad about a divorced father trying to find a way to embrace his gay son and his new boyfriend. And let me tell you, it will give you the chills, make you cry. We can't play the video, unfortunately, because it's in Spanish. Um, there might be obviously some Spanish listeners, but uh, overall, uh, you know, we can't play it right now. But uh, it's just the uh, the emotion of watching a father accept his son and, you know, reach out to Reddit, you know, in it. And I'll just like explain it in it. You, you could see the son with the boyfriend and the father realizing it and the son uh, reaching out to kind of social media to get their take on how he can approach his son. And then finally at the end, just embracing him. And it's just a beautiful moment. Yeah, it actually reminds me of a show that I just recently watched on HBO Max called uh, mm-hmm. Veneno. And mm. it is a, a incredible story of a trans icon and television personality um, from, I believe, Spain. And um, it's a great show to watch. Um, I think, well, that show is all in uh, Spanish as well. But of course, there's English dubs. And it's just, it's an incredible show to, to really be to dive in into a culture that's not ours and to also understand that there have been like trans icons and personalities, you know, before we even knew the language and how it 
it really shows, uh, it details her story. And um, I think everyone should be watching it. It's based off of a character. Her name is Christina Ortiz, but her her stage name is Veneno. And so, yeah, it's it's just really, really good. And if you want to binge something, go on HBO Max and check it out because it's perfection. I love that. And of course, you can also watch that Doritos ad on at Doritos underscore MX. And uh, definitely check it out because it's a powerful one. You know, brands doing good. There's a lot of brands that don't do it well, but they did this one well. And finally on our Yasmin of the day, we're going to talk about a lottery winner. Okay. So uh, on December 29th, before the new year, Stephanie Lemieux and her fiance, Glenn Thoreau of Turner, Maine, they bought, you know, 25 lottery tickets for 25 bucks each from their local grocery store. Well, guess what? They won. They are one in who knows 0.1% that actually win when they do this because I've tried this and it hasn't worked. So you know what they did? They went back to the grocery store and gave all the managers there who helped them out 1000 bucks. So that's a feel good story today, even though, (laughs) you know, should they have given them more money? I don't know. But congrats to the couple for winning and starting the year off uh, with some money. I'm like, many of us mm-hmm. <laughs> and that does it for our yes queen of the day and our show today yes queen but we're back tomorrow live of course here on channel q 4 to 7 p.m pacific 7 to 10 p.m eastern we're going to be bringing you the latest updates of course if in the next 24 hours there will be any movement on this 25th amendment and impeachment but I'm sure there will be. There's news every moment at this point. Uh, Plus, the LGBTQ task force is joining us to discuss the actions they hope can be taken to remove Donald Trump from office. That and more on tomorrow's show. And if you miss any of our shows or interviews, we post everything as a podcast. So just go to the radio.com app, search Let's Go There, and subscribe so you're notified when we post new episodes. We are sending you love and light. And honey, remember to slay. See you tomorrow. Have a great night. Bye, y'all.